Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome into Inside Black and Gold, your week 18 edition, the final stretch of the Saints season in the black and gold. Going for a fourth straight victory. I know we saw this completely coming at the end of the year, right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's frustrating because it's like when I talked about like, oh, what if, if the Saints finish 4-0, and there's a chance they make the playoffs. And the no one said, oh, no, the Saints are going to finish 4-0 and and not make it. They were like, there's no way the Saints are going to finish 4-0. That was definitely me telling you, what are you crazy? They haven't done this. All, they haven't won two all right. year. Right. Right. And it was like no one no one was like, oh, my, they might finish 4-0 and and then miss it anyway because everyone else screws them over. But that's what happened. And, uh, you know, we talked about well, I talked about this in the post-game podcast, and so we don't have to get too much in the weeds here. But yes, everyone failed the Saints, and this game is quote-unquote meaningless. Whatever that means to you, it means to me, it is meaningless. Um, and it, it's the first time since week 17 of the 2018 season that they're playing a meaningless game that was also against the Panthers and Kyle Allen started that game against Eddie Bridgewater. I think the Panthers won 33 17. Don't quote me. I'm just going from memory. Um, so yeah, so we're going to, we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to have Rob Brown from the views from mint street podcast 
to kind of break down what's different about the Panthers and what to expect. And so he'll he'll be able to break down a good bit of that because I have no idea what these Panthers look like beyond a team that cannot stop Tom Brady from scoring 20 consecutive points in the fourth quarter of a must-win football game. And uh, they have that in common with the Saints, so they're not that different. We're also going to get into like what Saints team do we expect to be on the field? We got the first injury report today, and I think that's going to be very telling as to you know the group that does not play. Um, so we're going to get into that in the second segment. But first, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what everyone's talking about and what was basically the only topic of conversation in the locker room today in Dennis Allen's press conference and Andy Dalton's press conference. And, you know, while there were other questions asked, this was the bulk of the time of every single interview is what's going on with DeMar Hamlin, you know, how everyone's reacting to the situation. I think it's had a pretty profound effect on a lot of players around the NFL. And I think what everyone's kind of echoed and what I, I can understand completely is, you know, it's, it's basically like a, it's a mortality thing. It's like, this guy's heart stopped beating on the field and whatever for whenever we find out what the exact cause of it was, you know, that's kind of secondary to his status as a human being and, and how he's doing the, the fortunate news is there has been positive progression in terms of his status. He's still in critical condition, but you know, like we talked to, we talked to Lucas crawl in the locker room today and, you know, they were teammates back at Pitt two years ago. So DeMar Hamlin, I think, is in the second year. They were teammates during the 2020 season. And now, if you recall, that was the COVID season. And I think, you know, when you talk about players bonding, I think that season specifically where you're pretty much isolated from the world at large made it very difficult to get to know things outside of your own locker room. And so I think they got very close. Lucas Carl was telling us how when he got to the Pitt campus, he kind of led him through the ropes and you know, he had tears in his eyes when he was talking about it. They said they had a group chat where a lot of the former Pitt players were talking to each other when it happened. And it's basically been blowing up ever since where people are trying to share updates. And, and you can understand why that would affect affect the players the way it did. Yeah, with DeMar Hamlin, obviously, that's on everyone's mind between the coaches, the players, uh, every team throughout the NFL after seeing everything unfold. The way it did in front of you was definitely something that you won't forget. It's an, it's a, just an image that the guy was just getting up from the field and completely collapsed in front of you was something that I even called my kiddo who was sleeping over a buddy's house to talk about to make sure, you know, just to see how he was doing after seeing something like that, if he was watching football, which in fact he was. And it's definitely a, a traumatic thing to, for me as a kid. I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I I remember being in the classroom and seeing the space shuttle blow up. And the teacher literally turned the television off. And we ended up going home, you know, uh, eventually after that. I equate it to something like that. It was one of those moments that affected everybody in the same way. You, you all had the same feet. Everyone had the same feeling about this. Obviously, prayers and hopes are out for him, his family and all. And, you know, even uh, Andy Dalton today wasn't even asked about the matchup against a Panthers defense it was all about how he felt in the whole situation that DeMar Hamlin was going through right now. I think this has been something that I have personally been affected by, um, especially with it happening to a Bills player, the Bills fan base, and um, just a lot of people 
the support of Buffalo have donated to my foundation through a win. Now, this is something completely different. This is a tragedy that something happened. And so one ways to show one way to show our support is we wanted to give back, I mean, in the way that we can. And I think the outpouring of support that not only he has received from people in the NFL, his family has received, it's just from, I mean, really the entire country. I mean, shows that this is so much bigger than the game of football and the impact that football can have on so many different communities, so many different lives. And so that's just a small thing that we can do during this time is just to show our support that um, our prayers are with him and his family. And that's not one thing that we just say. Uh, thoughts and prayers is a word and term that a lot of people use. But the power of prayer is real. And I know one thing for my family, me, JJ, even my, my kids, we've been on our knees praying for his health and praying for him and his family, the Bills organization, everybody in Cincinnati, and so many people that were involved with this this thing. And so the donation is small, but we're really thinking about him and praying that he's going to push through with, with everything. Yeah, so we're talking about there is DeMar Hamlin's toy drive. He does this every year. The stated goal for this drive was $2,500. Um, and, you know, within minutes of him going down on the field and, you know, the everything that happened and everyone becoming aware of it, which did not take very long. It was basically like, like I wasn't even watching Monday Night Football. I was doing something else. And then my, you know, I just was scrolling through Twitter and it was like, wow, what is happening? So I turned it on um, and, it, you know, quickly became aware. But so I think people were looking for somehow to some way to show support for DeMar and they stumbled upon this toy drive. They started making donations, you know, within a couple hours, it was over a million dollars. The last update I see is it's over five and a half million dollars now for this toy drive that was looking for $2,500 in donations which is really amazing. And so what Andy was talking about there is he was one of the first people to make a donation. And I think, you know, it was something like $3,000. And like Andy said, it's not a huge donation for a guy that makes millions of dollars, but it's still, it's, you know, it, it's the, this the, the idea behind it. It's like everyone is looking for a way to support and to, you know, make sure that they're, you know, doing what they can, which is, you know, nothing. That's the frustrating thing is you look at it and there's nothing you can do. You just have to hope and pray. And, you know, one of the things that we talked to Paul Sanadibo in the locker room today, and I think one of the things that kind of struck me from what he was talking about is like, it's almost made worse by the fact that it, it wasn't a big hit. Like it wasn't you, like you watch football and these are gladiators and they're flying across the field. You've seen way harder hits than that. You've seen way more gruesome injuries than that. I remember watching Marcus Lattimore blow his knee up on, on just live television. And it was, yeah, I remember... Gordon Hayward snapping his ankle and I was watching that game too. I have really bad luck. I saw Paul George when that happened. Kevin Ware in the NCAA tournament. Like these are gruesome injuries, but at the same time, you can you can understand why they happened and you can see it. And it's like this one, it was a big hit, but nothing crazy. And then all of a sudden it just collapses on the field. And it makes like they're because you can't avoid that hit, right? Like it's not like you can say, well, I'm gonna you know, we can change how players hit each other and we can add more equipment and we can do all this and that. It's just, you can kind of feel helpless. And I think that's what 
you know, for these players and the idea behind it is, you know, it's like, these are people and they're, these are not just pieces on a chessboard and they, you know, this is just an example of that. And that's why, you know, when you see Skip Bayless tweeting out insensitive things because he can't help himself, you know, that's why, that's why people get worked up about that because like the, the playoff picture doesn't matter when, when a player is laying there on the field, getting resuscitated. Um, no, I think that's part of Skip's thing. He, he he longs to be like the king troll of all trolls. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's just his his default setting. But what um, going back to what you said with the people making donations, that to me is one of the the obviously a huge positive in this whole scenario. But just overall, when things are down in in the United States in general, I feel like there's like this rally behind folks as bad as things are and as as horrible as society we want to criticize things there's these really dark times where people seem to come through which is kind of awe inspiring and and gives you hope that we are still heading in the right direction kind of thing if you know what i mean yeah i mean i think it's a it's an example of you know the internet being used for good instead of evil which is so <laughs> rare to find right like there's so many instances of the internet being used to hurt people you know and it's kind of cool to see it happen in such a positive way you know and this money is not going to do anything to 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 get them all out of the hospital but you know it's it is cool to see and you know i think it, it's it kind of just underscores like you know really no one was asked about this upcoming football game and because it doesn't feel important I don't know if that might be different if this was a game to make the playoffs. I imagine it would be to some extent because there would be a lot more pressure around the coverage and just, you know, talk. You want to hear from players about this big matchup. Now, this game doesn't mean anything in terms of the standings. So asking any of these players about, you know, what do you think about Sam Darnold right now today just felt impertinent. Um, that, that'll change, I think tomorrow and Friday, you know, you'll get more into the X's and O's and the, and the, and the minutia of the game. But today it just didn't feel like it mattered. And I think everyone in the press corps kind of understood and, and, uh, and appreciated that. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a tough scenario. You know, you mentioned seeing gruesome injuries before, but this was, this was different because you didn't see anything, any body part or something happening where you could see, where the damage was done it was obviously something going on internally with with the player and the fact that you just saw him go limp and lifeless on the field we know that cpr was needed so it, it was a pretty extreme condition and no nobody nobody wants to see anyone get hurt much less die on the football field yeah and um you kind of don't even know what to say it's just yeah it, it, you kind of just have to hope but yeah, we can we can we can move on from this now. I did, but I did think it was important that we talk about it because, like I said, it's the only thing that got brought up in the locker room today. And so you know, all these players are, I, you know, what what you what you kind of appreciate in terms of like obviously, I never played football in the NFL. I don't know what it's like to be in that kind of fraternity, if you will. But I think it's exactly it's pretty striking that like basically everyone's reaction is the same. Right. It, it's not like it's not like there are some people who are saying one thing and some people are saying the other thing. Everyone is being affected by this in their own way, but in in, in a very, very similar ways. Um, and it's like, yeah, this is a dangerous sport. And you can see that um, 
you know, like it's not the most dangerous profession in the world, right? But it's just people who are going out there knowing that there could be, you could take a hit at any point that that can change your life. And the team brought in, you know, they talked about it. They brought in, um, you know, counselors and I believe like a sports psychologist and people to kind of explain and go through some of the, some of the tools that they have at their disposal if they do need to talk about things because it's traumatizing. It's trauma at the end of the day. And so hopefully, hopefully everyone on the team is doing okay with it. It sounds like they're processing it as well as you can. That's kind of what I gathered from Lucas Krulls. It's just like just doing what you can and, and, and making sure that you're sending out the right vibes and, and going from there. But yeah, that's basically what it was today. And obviously not the time to talk about it, but there is still a game to be played. Maybe. Yep. I mean, it does have playoff implications. So it oh, you mean important. the you mean the Bills and the Bengals? Yeah, the Bills and the Bengals game. It's like it's really curious what's going to happen there, and and by no means do I think they should be rushing to a decision either. I think they're, they've made the smart move. Actually, the NFL and the way they've approached this right now yeah, took a little longer than than most people would have would have hoped, and I don't I don't think the NFL has handled it particularly well on their own end, where like you know just just say hey it was an unprecedented situation and. You know, we'd made, we, you know, we just didn't know what to do for a period of time. And we got the decision right in for the sure. end. Instead, they're like, we never said five minutes and it's, it's getting awkward. But either way, yeah, I mean, they made the right call by sending these teams out of the stadium. I mean, I don't know if the Bills are going to be ready to play this weekend, right? Like, that's another question. I, I think you have to because, you know, like, like I understand why the NFL was motivated to try to get this game played. Yeah, because it is going to complicate things greatly going forward, and so like, but I think obviously you had to do what they did in the end. But yeah, it you could like, not play that game. How, that how game. you solve this situation going forward as it as it pertains to the to the playoff schedule, I don't know, right? And it's a question that you weren't going to answer that night, and you needed to just make sure that everyone did the right thing by the players. But I, I have no idea how you're going to reconcile this. I don't know if you're going to add a week. I don't know if you're just going to say, hey, that game didn't matter because it's going to affect other teams if they don't play that game. You know, I think the Ravens are, are kind of in limbo because of this. So, I mean, we're going to find out. They're not going to play it this week. And there's only one more week of football before, you know, you're supposed to start the playoffs. And both of these teams are in the playoffs, guaranteed. It's really just for seeding. So we're going to have to see. But either way, the Saints are going to play a football game this weekend and their schedule will wrap up. And so... We're just going to have to see what happens from the exterior of the playoff picture anyway. And obviously, too, what's crazy is that it affects so many other aspects surrounding football when you even look like, I don't I don't know what happens if you place the bet on that game. I'm assuming you get your money back. No action bets. Okay. Like they, were, they avoided, you know, at least Caesars voided all the bets, which is the right thing to do. And then we um, kind of joked a little about it, but not really joking. Like, how does this affect fantasy football championships? Well, that's very confusing. You know, I, I'm in one league that I won with Joe Burrow is my quarterback, but I won before that. Like, I had already gotten enough points to win, and he had nobody left, and I had Joe Burrow and uh, a defensive player. But we don't have to figure out what to do in that scenario. Yeah. But I'm in another league where they're openly debating what to do. So I, that's happening everywhere, right? One team in every league had Joe Burrow as their quarterback and one team in every league had Josh Allen as their quarterback. And if you had those guys as your quarterback, you probably had a good season. So there's a lot of teams who were in their playoff matchup, their championship matchup, and now they don't have the quarterback that they definitely started. So like, there's a lot of fantasy leagues out there trying to figure it out. 
and it is insensitive to even bring it up. I don't know if insensitive, but it is a of something of fallout from this whole incident. Well, there, there's money involved, right? So exactly. you have to figure out a way to reconcile it in a fair way. Like if it was a if it's a free league, just say who cares? It doesn't matter, right? But exactly. in, in paid leagues, someone has to get the money, and it, it becomes really awkward. And how do you you know how do you figure that out? I, I don't know. I think the only solution is whoever was in the lead. Split it at that point wins, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, but you kind of have to treat it like any other injury. I was going to say, if you're in the championship game, you end up splitting the pot with somebody kind of thing. I think in a lot of instances, and I'm just going through this to kind of like as a thought process thing. Yeah. You know, I think if what, what you should try to do in cases where the, if the matchup was close enough that it, you couldn't say high or low, who would have won, right? Like mine, I know for sure. I would have won, so it doesn't matter. If it's like a debate, like if it was within five points and you had Jamar Chase and he had Joe Mixon, whatever, something like that, I would yeah. say that if the two teams just say, hey, whatever the winnings are for first place, split it down the middle and we're going to walk away. Because um, that's that's the reasonable thing to do. But it's it's just, yeah, it, it kind of, it is kind of crazy just when you kind of see the, the impact of this one one hit that that it can have the ripple effects that it can have um and it shows you the power of the game i think yeah and, and like you said we're, i'm not trying to be insensitive about any, anything it's just no, well, it's something that i'm sure people who listen to this podcast at least are, one person listening to this podcast is in a fantasy league that is trying to figure out what to do right right uh, and, and it's, it's, just, it's a fallout of it's a whole trickle down effect yeah. of it uh, you know of what's going to happen now and it just like I said, too, it just affects so many people on a human scale more than anything. Um, I know, I, like I said, I, I, to, I called my kiddo right away just because in case he was watching the game, which he was, and he plays football, just yeah. to talk to him about it. Uh, and, yeah, some some things are bigger than the game, and this was definitely one of them. Um, I think we, we, we said it a bunch, but many prayers going out, and hopefully we, we end up seeing – him on the football field again one day kind of deal yeah i hope we i hope i definitely hope we see him again um all right we're not breaking any new ground here so let's wrap that segment up right this is inside black and gold we're going to come back and we're going to talk about okay so there is a game this weekend who's going to play in it i think that's a big question that we really can't answer right now but we did get the first injury report today and i think it's pretty telling as to how they're going to approach this so we're going to get into that and then to close out the show we're going to bring in rob brown host of the views from mint street podcast to break down you know what's new with the panthers what to expect that sort of thing why the panthers are actively trying to ruin the saints day that sort of thing stick around on inside black And we're back here on Inside Black. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. 
Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. In gold, we're talking about the Saints. The Saints that have a meaningless game. And I know the players hate to hear that. The coaches hate to hear that. But I don't care. I'm still going to say it. It's meaningless in terms of the standings. And because of that, you effectively have a preseason football game, an exhibition. If it was soccer, you'd call it a friendly. It does affect Um, draft status, though. So maybe not totally meaningless. It does affect draft status. It does. But that's not going to be what (laughs) these players are playing for. So in the sense that they all want to win a football game, that's what you're going to get. And uh, yeah, so I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. And so we did get the first injury report today. And it's going to be interesting because here's what Dennis Allen had to say on, you know, kind of the plans for starters and and what that, whatnot earlier in the week. We get paid to show up on Sundays. That's what we do. And so that would be what I would expect. I think guys that are healthy enough to play, you know, my anticipation is, is that they'll play in this game. Yeah, and so I think that's the rub, right? Healthy enough to play. But I think it's he's saying that, but I do think that it's slightly different in the sense that I think if you are hurt in any way, you're not going to play, right? Like it's not whether you can fight through an injury, which is what it, what it would be for pretty much every other week. This week, it's if you, are, if you are 100% healthy or at least a reasonably within the margin of error for that, then you're going to play. If you're dealing with any injury whatsoever, that's more than nothing. It's more than like a stub toe. You're probably not going to play. See, I'm interested to see what happens the rest of this week with someone like Taysom Hill. Obviously, he's, he's one of the guys on the injury report on Wednesday, limited with a back issue. How serious is it? We don't know. Obviously, he was limited at practice on Wednesday. But to me, he's a big part, obviously, of what this offense wants to do. And in order to achieve that victory that everyone's talking about, I think you're going to need a guy like Taysom Hill in the game against the Panthers. So, yeah, I see. I disagree with that. And I'm going to go to the injury report here. So we got the first injury report of the week. So and here's why. Right. Cornerback Paul Sunadibo, hamstring DMP. Now, he told us today he's not playing, right? And he wouldn't have said that unless the coaches told him at the beginning of the week that he's not playing. So, like – We never hear that from players this early. Come on. Right. He would not have declared he was not playing unless the coaches told him he wasn't playing. So, that tells me that the coaches are already making decisions on, yeah, you have a hamstring injury. We're not even going to try to force you to play through something. This is an injury that – is more than nothing, and you're not going to play. So I think to that extent, anyone who is a DMP today is not going to play uh, in Week 18. That's me, my conjecture, but I think it's reasonable to think. So that includes left tackle James Hurst, who suddenly has a foot injury, uh, tight end Jawan Johnson, quad quad injury, safety Marcus May, shoulder injury, Ryan Ramchek, hip injury, slash rest <laughs> again, and then he left guard like- Andres Pete, and then running back Dwayne Washington is dealing with an illness, he has been put on injured reserve. Ramchek so, did leave the Eagles game with the injury. Oh, yes. Ryan Ramchek did. Yeah. And Pete 
left the week before with an ankle injury. He didn't play. So I think right. all of those guys, all of those DMPs are not going to play. Like we can assume that. And so, so the DMP for you is do, does not play. Yeah, right. But so I think that's where you kind of can, can figure something in there, which is who are the players that you're trying to get on the field for more runs so you can get as much of a look at them as possible? Alante Taylor is going to start across from Marshawn Lattimore, who is not on the injury report, which is an awesome sign for him. And I would imagine Marshawn plays. Go down the line. Who is the other young player that you have not seen yet in a starting role that you really would like to see? Who is it? Smoke Monday. <laughs> He's on IR. I'm kidding. Trevor Penning. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Left tackle Trevor Penning. Rookie, first rounder. You have not seen him in a starting role. Now, James Hurst has a foot injury. I would guess that this is an injury he's been playing through and it has not been an issue in terms of being available. But if you remember back at the beginning of the season, he had a foot injury. I wouldn't surprise me. This is the same injury and he's just been playing through it all year. And because you're in week 18 and because you kind of want to start Trevor Penning anyway, he's out with a foot injury. And so, yeah, that's something you do early in the week and you say, okay, James is dealing with a foot injury. We're not going to push him through it because we want to get Trevor Penning out there and we want to see the left, the rookie left tackle at least once going into the offseason so we can at least have an idea of what he needs to work on after going against a starting defensive line that is trying to beat him with all of their might. Okay. And so that's where I think the injury is. Now you mentioned Taysom Hill. He is on the injury report with a back injury, but he did have a limited practice. Chase Hansen is, is the same with a knee injury. Justin Evans with a shoulder injury. Those guys are on, I'm on the fence. They might play. Okay. But I also think like you saw Taysom Hill go down with a Liz Frank injury last year in week 18 and that impacted his off season. And Good I point. think you don't want a guy who plays the way he does and takes big hits I think it's more risk than it's worth to put him out there in a game that you don't need those hard yards. You know, you're going to try to win it, obviously, but we'll see. Alvin Kamara is a guy who probably could have appeared on this list with a number of things, and he's yeah. not, which to me indicates they're going to, he's going to play. I still expect a big dose of Eno Benjamin. What's, what's surprising to me too, Jeff, is the fact that last week when we saw Kamara out with the personal issue, he also had the quadricep thing going on too on the injury list that's i guess gone it's not a factor now for him yeah if they didn't if they wanted to rest alvin they could have just put him back on here with a quad injury right and then they would have had him a dm or out for the game and you would have moved on they didn't do that to me indicates he's going to start um and i think because i think this team does appreciate that winning your final four games going into the offseason will be a big thing in terms of they haven't done that since 2011. Like, you have not ended your regular season on a winning streak of four or more games since the 2011 season. Think about that. Yeah, I guess last year they, they won four to five, at least, you could say last year. Yes, they won They won four to five, but again, they did have that loss in there, and yeah. that loss was what kept them out right. of the playoffs. So, like, right. <laughs> this doesn't always happen, right? Like, it's it's something that... You can look back on it and be like, okay, you know, we figured things out. The defense really started to click. The offense was doing enough um, with a lot of pieces missing. And so finishing this out the right way, I think, you know, in a season where it doesn't really mean anything, I do think that 
you know, you're going to go into the off season and you're going to feel a lot better about yourself knowing that you did everything you could and you were just a tiny bit away. And this is a team that's not, that's hopefully not going to undergo some significant changes in terms of, you know, it was really difficult last season. You had to figure out how to move past Drew Brees and find a new way there. It was really difficult this season because you had to move on from Sean Payton and find a new way there. Some continuity in that regard where you go into a season where you're just trying to build off what you did last year and not have to figure out fundamentally who you are is a good thing. Yeah, and I know a lot of folks going into this year wanted to call this, you know, a defense comparable to the Dome Patrol. Well, guess what? They did something that only the Dome Patrol has done uh, during a Saints tenure, you know, seven straight games of 20 points or less. That's hell of impressive, man especially today's day and times of offense. Yeah, and without Marshawn Lattimore for all but one of those games. Right. Right. <laughs> so we had Mickey Loomis on uh, on WWL earlier this week, and this is what he had to say, kind of how, how his kind of view on how the Saints are going to approach this final this final game. Yeah, look, we, we're watching those games very closely, and, and uh, it didn't go our way, but – you know, that's what happens when you when you put your fate into the hands of others is is uh, they don't always come through for you so um, it is what it is um, it's not going to change how we approach this week we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to win this game and and uh, uh, it would be it would be a good thing for us to you know finish the season with four straight victories and, and gain some momentum going into this off season I, and I do think this team is aware of that right and if you had a first round pick, would your philosophy be slightly different? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But I don't, at the end of the day, I think, I, I think you're right there. You would probably definitely be resting Camara this game then. If you, you had might a first be, you'd probably be considering it based right. on, you know, there's a very crowded crop of teams right at that seven and nine line and a loss drops you to seven and 10 and it might improve your draft slot from 10 to maybe seven or six. And maybe that probably would be worth it. Who knows? You know, it's it's tough to say what high or low, but at the same time, this isn't a team that's going to actively actively tank ever in especially, any game. I mean, especially Dennis Allen, year one head coach. He's got so much, you know, heat this entire season. He's not gonna just oh, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're all done. It's over with. Pack it up. Well, especially a guy. You know, I get it. It's eight and nine. It's not ideal, but you know, it's a guy who gets told all the time about how his coaching record is just God awful. And, you know, eight wins in a season is a lot more than he's ever had as a head coach. All right. And so if this, you're ideally, this would be your low point. Right. <laughs> and it's something you can build off of is, you know, seven, 10 is not that much different. I think either way, the team would say, yeah, we, we definitely missed what we were trying to hit, which was a winning record and the playoffs. But, they're they're not going to take for granted that a win here would feel a whole lot better than a loss and send you into the offseason just yeah one step ahead of where you were um but yeah yeah again how we look at the injury report you you talked about Taysom Hill I would be surprised if you see Taysom or at least I would be surprised if cuz you could have Taysom active and not use him in a heavy role and so maybe that's what they do is they really dial back what you're asking him to do. Maybe he throws it more than he runs it, you know, that sort of thing. We, we're going to get the heavy Eno Benjamin game? I think you do. I would be very disappointed if you didn't. Like, I think you're going to have Alvin in there, but, you know, he might not even lead you in carries. 
Um, and I would be, I would be disappointed if we got to the off season without getting to see what, you know, Benjamin looks like with 10 carries in a game, right? That, that sort of thing. Uh, like, I don't think he has to get 20, 25, but I would like to see more than two, right? He got a couple carries last week. He got a screen pass. So you just build on that and you start building him up and, you know, cause you want to know whether he's a guy you want to resign and we're going to, we're hopefully we get an idea of that in this game. Another one I'm curious about too. Do you think there's any kind of situation where I'm not saying he's starting, but maybe a snap or two, a trick play. Do you James? put Jameis Winston into this game? Let him throw. No, huh? I mean, I, I understand why um, it seems like it would make sense. And like in, in another universe, you'd probably be starting Jameis in general, and it would be Andy Dalton going into this game as the, okay, we're out of the playoffs here, Andy, take a start, you know? Um, but I just don't, I don't see it happening. It's very, I think, and, you know, I don't like leaning into conspiracies or anything like that, but I do think that, you know, you don't want to put Jameis out there and have him ball out if you're Dennis Allen. Because you don't want to, you know, if if he goes out there and throws for 500 yards, it's bad for you, right? And well, so I, I guess, I yeah. I mean, I'm I'm thinking more like trade bait for, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but that's the, that's the weird thing because because Andy Dalton is not under contract right, right now. Right, right. He will be a free agent after this game, <laughs> uh, but Jameis Winston is under contract for next season. Now they might. But I don't just, think anyone's expecting him back. I would be very surprised. If they yeah. bring him back, but I mean, like, if they wanted to bring him back, they could. That's the weird thing. But I think he would be like, "Can you, can you, can you, can you please, just please?" Right. I've been a great teammate. Let me go. Right. I've done everything you asked. Can you not hold me hostage? Thanks. That's why I figured. Hey, let's just give a one, you know, double reverse, throw it downfield to Rashid Shahid. I don't know. In my fantasy world, I'm dreaming up of a this huge 80 yard touchdown from from Jameis Winston and a, a little cherry on top of his tenure here. Yeah. I almost think that would be more insulting than just writing it out the way. <laughs> maybe no, seriously, maybe like, that's it too. It, it, I mean, like you quit on the guy. You're not just going to, you know, throw him morsels now. Like that would just be, I don't know. Like to me, that would be lame. Like we, we can all see what happened, right? Like Dennis Allen wanted Andy Dalton as his quarterback. He went to Andy Dalton as his quarterback it's not any more complicated than that, and that has not changed, and it's not going to change. And I do think that going to Jameis in this game would be just kind of an awkward situation for everybody involved. Um, Even just a trick play? Yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't see how that would – Like, I don't know. Like I said, I think it's more of – Obviously, what I've uh, we've seen we've we've seen on game day we've seen just throughout the season in the locker room at practice, Winston's whole attitude has really won me over. Uh, and I love Jameis. Yeah, I, and I, I really just, do. I would love to see something, I guess, thrown his way, kind of in this meaningless game as we as we've talked about. But I, I could see it causing more problems than good too. It's like going to a dinner and getting a two hundred dollar tab. And then leaving like, like two fifty for a tip. Oh, that sucks. Right? Like, if I'm Jameis, I'm walking back and I'm saying, "You, I think you need this more than I do." <laughs> and then okay, I'm good like, point. I like that. Yeah, like that to me, that's what you're talking about. Is you, you, like, oh yeah, here you go. Have some scraps. Yeah, you know, here's yeah, the yeah. change in my pocket. 
Um, and so to, that's why I say that I don't think that'll happen. But maybe that analogy is way off. Maybe Jameis would love it. And maybe you do throw it in, right? I don't know. I don't speak for Jameis. That's just kind of how I interpret that idea. No, um, I like that analogy, though. Yeah, that definitely. You need this more than I do kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're looking at. And I hope, I do hope, again, I hope you see a lot of Eno Benjamin. I am, I would bet money that Trevor Penning starts at left tackle, that you have Landon Young at right tackle. And who knows what you're, how you're going to shake out the guards. Center is going to be Eric McCoy because you don't really have an option. And you're going to go from there. Probably you're probably going to see Calvin Throckmorton um, and maybe Lewis Kidd. Uh, I don't know who else is going to be a guard, but you're going to go from there. But yeah, looking that's at the probably... Running- Looking at that running back situation, too, I'm thinking about David Johnson, but he really hasn't showed much. I don't know if they think about calling anybody up up from the practice squad, maybe. I mean, you know what you have in David Johnson. I don't think you necessarily need to see him. Like, there's years and years of tape on David Johnson. Right, but I just don't think we've even seen anything that's wanted. Has piqued my interest to see more even from him right now. I think he's run decently well while he's been in there. I mean, like, he's he he did his job on early downs – Beyond that fumble, right? That fumble was inexcusable. They won the game in spite of that. But like to me that you kind of you see what you have there. There's there's a very low ceiling on what David Johnson could do at this point in his career. But he's a consistent guy, and I understand why you like to have him. Maybe you do bring him back. You know, if Mark Ingram's not in the building next year and you need three running backs, and he's one of them. You don't know where you're gonna get out of Dwayne Washington, as we said. He's on injured reserve now and he's dealing with those migraines. And so that's something that you don't know how he's going to be able to come back from that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of all I have on the on the roster. You have anything else? No, just um, it goes by too quick, Jeff. I mean, this whole season, it it doesn't seem that long ago that we were talking week three at Carolina kind of deal, and and now we're closing it out in the Superdome, and there's no hope of more football, which is very sad for me. Yeah, and this is our this is our sixty fourth podcast. Of the season, of since wow. we started. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, are we going to get like a banner when we hit 100? No. <laughs> Unless you want to go get it. If you want to go buy a banner and print it up, All right. then we can have a banner. I'll, I'll make sure that happens. All right, good to know. All right, let's wrap up that segment there. This is Inside Black and Gold. Hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. We're going to come back with Rob Brown from The Rob Brown Show. He is a host at the Fan Upstate. He's on Twitter at The Rob Brown Show. And he is also the host of the Views from Mint Street podcast covering the Carolina Panthers. He's going to give us the lowdown on what to expect in this Week 18 meaningless, the meaningless bowl, as I, as I, as I just decided right now I'm going to call it. Um, yeah, stick around. back here on inside black and gold and uh we found him mr rob brown host of the views from mint street podcast covering the carolina panthers and also radio host of the fan upstate in greenville south carolina and also at the fan upstate on twitter check it out he's also got a show with his name on it the rob brown show it's a good time i'm jeff Nowak alongside steve geller make sure to hit the subscribe button before you go but all right, Rob. First question: Why do the Panthers hate the Saints? Uh, so this is really kind of interesting. I'm gonna go behind the scenes and get myself in trouble. 
uh, I'm actually from Louisiana and grew up a Saints fan, right? So I have been, in fact, uh, again, not to get myself in trouble, but right there over the head, you'll see one of the uh, the multiple Saints hats hanging here in the home studio. But the answer is because unless you are a Saints fan and you grew up in that culture where it's just a party all the time, and this shocks me, some people find us loud and obnoxious and over the top. And I, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but they do. And Panthers fans feel that way, but so do Falcons fans and Bucks fans and just about everybody else, again, who don't know how to have a good time all the time. And it's not to talk bad about Panthers fans, but I have said on my own pod that there are two groups of Panthers fans. There are the Panthers fans that are your run-of-the-mill football fans, but Charlotte also has a lot of what I call to their faces cheese and cracker fans that kind of look at football as a social event more than the way that most of us look at football. And so to them, if you come in as Saints fans do, I was actually at the week three Saints at Panthers game in Charlotte. When you come in and hoot and holler and raise hell and have a good time, it doesn't really fit with a lot of, of the attitude. But also Saints fans are known to talk a little smack and the Panthers fans don't really love that either. So there's just always kind of been this natural rivalry between the two. And as somebody who is kind of in the middle as guy who grew up a Saints fan who is now getting paid the medium bucks to cover the Panthers to sit in the middle of that rivalry and get paid for it is kind of amazing. Well, see, I think you misunderstood my question. I meant it more in the fact that the Panthers couldn't hold on to an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter of that goddamn football game. And they have now made this week not only meaningless for the Panthers, but meaningless for the Saints. This could have been a great football game. This could have been a game to decide the NFC South. Instead, it's not, and it's all your fault, and I hate you for it. Uh, of the reasons to hate, <laughs> that is a good one, uh, and I accept it, too. Like, I, I was sitting here thinking, as a fan and a radio guy, I win that game either way if it's for the division, right? Like, either I'm happy as a fan or as a radio guy, I get to cover a team in the playoffs for a couple of weeks and go up to Charlotte person uh, for at least one home playoff game. It's wins for me all around. Look, the team fell apart, man. I mean, they absolutely fell apart. And I'm also going to go one step further and tell you that I think Steve Wilkes lost his opportunity to become that game. Yeah. In fact, I broke down on our website – I broke down one play, the third, third, three, third Mike Evans touchdown, 100% because the defensive game plan sucked. It was bad. You created a situation where C.J. Henderson is getting roasted by Mike Evans like a Thanksgiving turkey, and then you set him up after Mike Evans had two touchdowns to go one-on-one -on -one with no over-the-top safety help again. Steve Wilkes lost his opportunity to be the head coach next year. That's why David Tepper was the first guy on the phone with Jim Harbaugh when the reports came out that he might be coming back to the league. It cost them the game. It cost them the division. It cost them a hell of an entertaining matchup this week. The silver lining for the NFC South being a dumpster fire inside of a larger dumpster <laughs> fire is that even though you lost the division, Carolina is not picking any worse than seventh to ninth in this draft and could pick as high as fifth. So I guess there's that good news there. Yeah, if I didn't know any better, I would have assumed they were tanking. But yeah, it was interesting because I've had a lot of people call the radio show uh, available at thefanupstate.com. You're welcome. People call the radio show and go, 
why not tank, right? Because even if you win the South, you're still going to be the lowest power-ranked playoff team. And the answer is because the playoffs are a new season. You get that energy shot, that adrenaline shot from making the playoffs. I will take make the playoffs at 6-11 and 11 over tank to 3-14 and, and 14 every single year. You can't win the dance if you don't punch the ticket. But... It is a nice little benefit playing in the garbagest of garbage divisions in football that by losing that game and making us all endure one more season of Tom Brady in the playoffs, at least we have a first-round draft pick. How's that feel for you guys? Not good at all, for sure. Not great. Not great. <laughs> I mean, it's it seems like an eon ago since eons ago since we played – uh, you guys in Carolina, a lot of differences. Obviously, a main one, quarterback, running back, even at wide receiver. Uh, just curious, what was your take on how the whole Baker Mayfield saga went in Carolina? I lay it squarely at the feet of offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo. I think that Ben McAdoo's biggest weakness and the reason that he won't be there next year either and probably, frankly, shouldn't have been here this year, we just didn't have a heck of a lot of options before the season started, is because Ben McAdoo is an OC that is going to force his game plan onto a player instead of implement his game plan around a player. I don't think he ever played to the strengths of Baker Mayfield, which is why Bake sucked at Carolina, goes to L.A., Sean McVay in Baker Mayfield's first game, less than 72 hours after he gets to L.A., less than 48 hours after his first practice, goes out and he wins the first football game for the L.A. Rams, and also bad football team because McVay is very good about taking players and crafting a game plan around them, whereas McAdoo says, here's the game plan. You're going to fit into that, whether your skill set fit, uh, you know, fits it or not. Now, I think the Panthers have had a couple of games after Steve Wilkes took over. Go back and look at that Detroit game on Christmas Eve where we absolutely ran the ball down the throat of the Detroit Lions, pulled it out, and did it again. We established the identity and the frustrating thing about the loss to Tampa, fellas, was that we established that with Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard and Sam Darnold, who can run the ball a little bit, with DJ Moore and, and Shai Smith and LaVisca Chenault able to create on the outside. We're a running football team that if we pound the rock can win games. We do it against Detroit. We put up a franchise record against Detroit. And then we come out the next week against Tampa and throw the ball 50 times? Ben! No, <laughs> please, no. More like Ben Wackadoo, am I right? Hey, oh. well, ladies and gentlemen, tip your weight, just try the veal. Yes, got him. Um, but yeah, you know, so I am I'm curious. So like you said, and that's what I was going to ask you actually is, you know, this is a team that fired its head coach, traded Chris McCaffrey, traded Robbie Anderson. I don't know if there were any others baked in there, but this is a team that was clearly selling off its pieces and firing its head coach because it did not believe that it would be competitive this season, even in a bad NFC South, right? Like that was like the distinct difference between the Saints and the Panthers is the Saints were like, no, we're going for it. And the Panthers were like, meh. But despite that, and despite losing games like, like against the Falcons, where all you had to do was make an extra point from 48 yards because DJ Moore couldn't keep his damn helmet on. Despite all of those things, they were in the NFC South race out of what you could only describe as like sheer will and accidents. And so like Steve Wilkes, 
I mean, it, did it feel like he was ever going to keep that job? And does it, has that changed now? Or, or was it kind of just like, you know, he's just setting himself up to be like the Dan Campbell where he just takes over as an interim and then eventually he'll get a job somewhere else. Cause it just like, it does feel like it changed when you have a game to potentially win the division or at least set yourself up to win the division and you blow it that masterfully. It does feel like it changes the understanding of what you can do as a head coach, even though you did motivate this team to punch above its weight for the second half of the season, the way you did. Yeah, there were a couple of things going on. I mean, first and foremost, you got to take into consideration the fact that Steve Wilkes took over as the head coach in week six. And so in effectively 12 games, was able to match the season-high win total of Matt Rule in two years, right? I mean, that that in itself says something. Then you look at the fact that Steve Wilkes did so after losing Robbie Anderson. Now, in fairness, Robbie Anderson was kind of become a bit of a locker room cancer, a little bit of a problem, and we've seen that at Arizona. He goes to Arizona, a place that theoretically under Cliff Kingsbury, Robbie Anderson should be the pro bowler that he claimed he was. Has anybody seen Robbie Anderson since week eight? No. I've actually, I have seen him. I saw him during the other collapse that ruined the Saints' chances. He didn't catch a ball, but I did see him, if that makes you feel better. He is. He was there. I saw him in the huddle. The other thing that's interesting is that you've had a lot of the players that have come out and said that they were going to ride with Steve Wilkes. In fact, Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, uh, I think a week and a half, two weeks ago, came out and said, I speak on behalf of the entire locker room when I say that we want Steve Wilkes to be the head coach next year. And there was not a Panther player that came out and disagreed with him. Now, that is that because they didn't want to start drama or because they agree. We can all have our subjective speculation. I tend to believe that's the case. Wilkes at Arizona, when he was the head coach there, and he was there for one year, a year that he was never in control of that program. Steve Wilkes, I think we can all look back now, or at least most of us look back now, and agree he was a placeholder, right? Like he was the guy that they just had to have a body in that office until they found the guy they did the next year in Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Wilkes didn't get a fair shake in Arizona. So all of us kind of said, okay, I don't think you can hold what happened in his one year there against them. He comes into Carolina. He takes over a roster that Matt, that Matt Rule built without him. He takes over and watches his number two receiver and one of the best two or three running backs in the National Football League in Christian McCaffrey get traded away from him. Now, as you pointed out, the reason why is because the Panthers at that point had no reason to believe that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to be bad and the division was going to be available for the taking for a sub-500 football team. So at that point, it was sell-off. If we knew what the Panther season was going to become and the Buck season was going to become, they probably hang on to McCaffrey because imagine the two-headed monster of McCaffrey and Deontay Foreman of the last five weeks with Chuba Hubbard to come in as a spell. It's a different look, right? But that's that's another pod. I think Steve Wilkes for a while had a really solid opportunity. I said when he got made the interim head coach, this is an on-field audition. This is his opportunity to prove he's the guy. Did he do enough to do that? Kind of like close this is the way I said it on our pod. Steve Wilkes has the job, despite the, the the collapse against Tampa, which I do place at his feet because it was the defense that fell apart. Darnold and company did enough to win the game, despite Ben McAdoo. The defense fell apart. A lot of injuries, a lot of problems. And, oh, by the way, it is that Tom Brady guy. Steve Wilkes has the job 
unless the Panthers can hit can can hit a home run with the hire. Uh, Harbaugh is a home run for the hire. I'm gonna say this because I'm curious about y'all's reaction. Sean Payton would be a home run hire if he is a guy that the, hey the Panthers got eight picks in this draft. If it's a bidding war to New Orleans to get Sean Payton's rights, the Panthers have got more capital than anybody else to make that happen if they're willing to sacrifice it and Sean's willing to coach in that same division. But a Harbaugh or a Payton, home run hires, Steve Wilkes is out the door. If not, then Steve Wilkes has put himself on the list of candidates to be interviewed and he'll have an opportunity to go, all of that was Matt Rule. I took Matt Rule's team. I had you knocking on the door of the playoffs. Now give me a shot with me at the controls and let's see what happens. Yes, for me, I can't see Mickey Loomis letting Sean go to Carolina, no matter what the hole would be. I'm, I'm curious, though, would Carolina really want to feed New Orleans all the those future draft picks and stockpile them for Sean kind of thing? I know they've got the money there to spend, though, with uh, you know, with your owner Tepper is has got an open checkbook and is definitely willing to spend. Here's See, to me, that's the question. Like, I think the Saints will trade him to a, to a division rival if the price is right. The question is more, will a division rival be willing to load up a division rival with picks Yeah, yeah. just to bring in a coach who will then not have those picks to improve his own roster? That's the question. But I, I don't think that the Saints would, would bat an eye if there's two first-round picks coming in and they're like, okay, Sean, go have fun in, in North Carolina for a while, right? Like, I, I think they would do that. As you guys will point out, it is, it is obviously about price and it's about the bargain. I mean, the first thing we have to consider is who else might be in on that sweepstakes, right? Like, there's always been the talk that Sean Payton's ultimate destiny is in Dallas. But the Dallas Cowboys are a win this week and some help away from winning the NFC East from going in as, as high as the two seed. I think they could be the one seed. Yeah, or excuse me, yeah, if, if they knock off, if, if Philly gets bounced and Dallas gets in, they could. You can't toss Mike McCarthy after this season, right? So, uh, now, it is Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is a little bit wackadoodle, so, like, maybe he would to stroke his ego. Who knows? But I think Dallas is out of the mix. Would Indianapolis be in the mix? Jim Irsay is about to interview Jeff Saturday. So, who the hell knows? Would the Denver brought Denver's the only team that I think could really screw this up and drive the price up because they're going to be willing to go Sean Payton, whatever the hell you want. We're done. We tried. We're out of the way. And Russell Wilson's here. So you've got the quarterback. Now, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about Russ has dramatically fallen off this year. Nobody's going to argue that. What you can argue is can we put that on Nathaniel Hackett? Can we say, because Russ balled out against Kansas City this weekend, the first weekend without Nathaniel Hackett in charge. So if they go, hey, Sean, Russ has still got it. And Sean believes Russ has still got it. And Denver's got a little capital. Denver could could kind of drive up the price a little bit. But the question is, is what's the market value of Sean Payton to New Orleans? And the reality is, fellas, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of players that we thought might be in here teams like Dallas to be there. I don't know that the price is going to be as high as you guys think it's going to be for Sean Payton. And that might be for David Tepper, who's looking for a rock star hire because the folks in Charlotte have really turned on him. There's a very anti David Tepper sentiment right now. If David Tepper is looking 
for a, a, a rock star home run hire to get the, the fans back, he might be willing to risk giving a little bit of capital to New Orleans and going, hey, if you're going to keep Dennis Allen, we're pretty sure Sean Payton with six draft picks can outcoach Dennis, Dennis Allen with no first rounder and none and a salary cap problem that Mickey Loomis has got to navigate here. It might be worth the risk for Carolina, to be honest. That's fair. Not to just pivot completely off of that, but I'm going to pivot completely off of that. My question for you is, are the Panthers going to try to win this football game? Because I believe that the Saints are going to try to win this football game. And I'm talking more from a better's perspective, right? Like if you're thinking, you know, I'm going to put some action on this game. Are the Panthers going to give it a serious try is my question. Because I think the Saints are going to start the healthy starters. And I'm curious what the Panthers are going to do. Uh, oh, yeah, they they absolutely are. Here's the thing. If there was any level of tank mentality to this team, this team wouldn't have been playing for a divisional opportunity last weekend. They could have laid it down back in week six, back in week seven. You got to look at it for a few reasons. Steve Wilkes is still coaching for a job. Maybe not Carolina, right. but he is coaching for a head coaching job. True. You're going to get everything out of him. Sam Darnold is done at the end of this year. Now, there is a there is a world in which Sam Darnold gets a one-year extension with the Panthers, depending on how the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud drafts cost goes, right? So Sam Darnold's playing for his job. Deontay Foreman's trying to play to earn more money on his next extension. You got a lot of guys defensively that are right about the time where that contract – you got guys playing for money, and you got Steve Wilkes playing for a head coaching job next year. The Panthers are going to try to win this game. The only question to me, it's not about effort, fellas. It's about are you going to get the Christmas Eve Panthers that run the ball 48 times for 300 yards, or are you going to get the Tampa Bay Panthers that try to turn Sam Darnold into Drew Brees and have him throw it 48 <laughs> times? If you get the Christmas Eve Panthers, this one's going to be fun because Andy Dalton and company are not going to get the ball for nearly as long as they have the last few in terms of time of possession and are going to have to be much more efficient with the limited possessions that they'll get in this game. But if Sam Darnold's going to wing it 48 times, you guys are going to run 95 plays in this game, and it could kind of it kind of skew the betting line a little bit. I'm not touching this game, not because I think Carolina's going to rest anybody. They won't. Not because I think y'all are going to rest anybody. They won't. But because I don't know what in the hell Ben McAdoo is going to do with the play sheet on Sunday because we watched. We got embarrassed by Pittsburgh trying to throw the ball. We ran the ball right up and down Detroit and back. And then we turn around and try to throw the ball again against Tampa Bay. I don't know which of those Panthers teams is going to show up. I'm not touching this game with your money, Jeff, and I know you've got a lot of it. <laughs> he actually well, has been winning a lot of bets yeah, this week. He's been winning his bets, so you're, he's right, you're right there. So I won back-to-back parlays. I took LSU minus 15 and like over 53. They covered that by themselves. They got like 63 points in the game. So that was that was a big parlay win for me. And then I got Tulane plus one and a half over 66. That, like they literally, within like 20 minutes of each other, I won hundreds of dollars. Um, anyway, so yeah, I do have a lot of money right now. So maybe I will uh, maybe I will let you bet it for me. I have been terrible with the NFL just the last two weeks. I had like a 73% win percentage up through about week 15. Yeah, trying to figure out this year's NFL schedule and that just the NFL in general is just insane. Um, but Steve, you got anything else? A little bit about more on uh, Foreman and Hubbard. 
Is, has, has anyone really emerged as that lead back? Because it kind of seems like the Panthers are still really alternating both between those two. If you ask me, yes, Deontay Foreman's the guy. But what was interesting was, again, you go back to that Detroit game, which I think is the the kind of the one that you want to spend the most time on. Remember those first two plays that really established a run game? Those were both Chuba Hubbard. Uh, those were both 30-plus yards by the backup. And then Deontay Foreman kind of came in after that. But I, I would say it's like 60% Deontay Foreman, 40% Chuba Hubbard, primarily because they're switching the looks back and forth. And so you can't really like Pittsburgh came in when we did mostly Deontay Foreman, but I think he only had like 10 or 11 carries in that game. They loaded up the box. They keyed in on Foreman and Ben McAdoo went, Oh my goodness. We got to let Sam Darnold throw. It didn't work <laughs> against Detroit. We threw Chuba Hubbard. We tried to work them into a more finesse run defense. They bid on that. We switched it up to Foreman, ran the rock up the gut. They started putting seven, eight in the box. You started working with Hubbard to the outside again. There's a lot of versatility there that, like I said, I kind of wonder if we're having the same conversation if Christian McCaffrey doesn't get traded and we've got him and Deontay Foreman. But, hey, wishes and dreams, right? Uh, I, I kind of wonder what the game plan is going to be. That's the reason I'm not betting the game. Do we do to you guys what we get a, uh, did against Detroit and go, hey, until you prove that you can stop Deontay Foreman, you're going to get plenty of carries out of him. And then when you do, we're going to start working Chuba Hubbard for some isos, maybe off guard, off tackle, try to extend the defense laterally, and then come back and hit you up the gut. I don't know because I don't think Ben McAdoo knows <laughs> until he gets up there and he shakes his magic eight ball and gets told what play he's going to call next. Yeah, and I, and I do. I, I think Deontay Foreman, just generally speaking, it's kind of cool to see him back in the NFL, right? He was a good player young, when he was a young player, and then he just had injury after injury after injury after injury. So it's cool to see him get a chance. Yeah, I saw the story the other day about, uh, you know, he was in Atlanta, obviously, and he had a, an injury that uh, he said in an interview he thought was going to make him walk away from football. He kind of got exasperated by the injuries and thought he was going to walk away. And he told the story about how he had a uh, conversation with his dad at one point where he he promised his dad that he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to walk away from the game, decided to give it one more shot at Carolina. And dude has been the offense for the Panthers for the most part, at least in the wins, right? The, the, the wins have been Darnold taking care of the football in, in the six wins or excuse me, five wins since week 12 when he took over no interceptions, one fumble, no other issues. And in the games that we have won, Deontay Foreman has averaged over 170 yards a game in all <laughs> the games we've lost under 50. It's not that hard to figure out, boys. Don't 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 overthink it. Sometimes the obvious solution is the right one, and if Carolina figures that out, I like them against New Orleans on the road this weekend. The problem is, like I said, Ben McAdoo goes looking for an Einsteinian caliber response to a really, really simple formula for winning. I almost feel like sometimes that's uh, I'm I'm yelling a lot about that with Taysom Hill's usage here. Just please keep pounding it with Taysom. Uh, and actually, we were actually uh, talking about that earlier. He's a bit of a question of popping up on the injury report today and wondering if he'll end up playing in this game or resting. He's, he has a back issue right now, so that'll be something to watch. Well, the, the, the good news for, for New Orleans is going to be that 
It does not look like J.C. Horn is going to be available. They were really hoping after that surgery he would get back. If J.C. Horn's available in that game against Tampa, I'm not saying he stops Mike Evans, <laughs> but he only needs to break up as one of those touchdown passes. And we right. Game, right? It's true. Doesn't look like J.C. Horn's going to be back, which means C.J. Henderson and Josh Norman, okay, are going to be out there. And by the way, can I just say from a Carolina perspective, Andy Dalton has been quiet, sneaky, efficient for you guys, and I think it's been under the radar. But if he's going to have a day to get himself in the ESPN FedEx Air Player of the Week awards or whatever it is, it's this weekend with a banged-up Carolina secondary and the fact that some of those guys that are kind of mid-tier injury report that would go if we are playing for the playoffs this week probably get some some R&R times. Like I said, to me, this game is 100% determined by Carolina's run game. If we use it, Carolina ought to win the game, or at least it ought to be a very close game. If we decide to turn Sam Darnold loose again, thinking that he's Aaron Rodgers, you guys ought to beat us by 21. Yeah, you said you said Josh Norman is like my I was like, wait, that Josh Norman? I can't believe he's still in the NFL. Prior to Coastal Carolina University. He was running a coffee shop when the Panthers <laughs> called him and asked him to come back. That's where this team is right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I thought Derrick Henry ended his career, but apparently. Yes, it, it, that is what happened. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of Inside Black and Gold. We've been talking to Rob Brown. Check out his podcast, Views from Mint Street. It's up there at the Fan Upstate. Check him out at the Rob Brown Show. He's a legend in his own mind right now. Um, that's what you will find out when you look him up on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Pleasure's been mine, fellas. Always enjoy talking, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again next year, and we won't have to worry about Tampa anymore. Yes, sir. You are, you know, this is a big moment. You are our first repeat guest on this podcast. Yes! <laughs> I'm out here making history, baby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll etch that, we'll etch that into, the, into the plaque. Yes. I love it. I, I've got my... Uh, I've got my South Carolina Sports Talk Radio Show of the Year Award up over the desk. I expect my trophy for first repeat inside black and gold football. Uh, I love it. Right next uh, on the trophy case. It's coming. It's coming. Check the mail. All right, man. Be easy. Appreciate you guys. See you all next time. Peace. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of Inside Black and Gold. As you probably figured out by our publication schedule this week, we are shifting into off-season mode dun, dun, right dun, there dun. with the Saints. And uh, so we're going to be doing two episodes a week starting this week. We'll still have the post-game podcast that posts on Monday. But then from that point on, we'll be Tuesday, Thursday. So just, just I mean, we'll still be giving you podcasts every week. Just going to be a slightly different schedule. And we're going to be doing two instead of three. It's just not going to be that much to talk about, you know, until we get into draft season. So we'll have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for ideas. But if you do have ideas of stuff you want to hear, stuff you want us to go through, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Let me know. And, you know, no idea is a bad idea unless it's a bad idea, in which case I will tell you it's a bad idea and we won't do it. So keep that in mind. But anyway, any any parting words of wisdom, Steve? He's still trying to figure out his sign-off. Curious if he's got anything. No, no I'm, I'm starting to think now, oh, man, I got to start lining up draft guests for us. Yes, we should do that. We should do that. Yeah. <laughs> that that'll be a good be way to... Yeah, Talk that'll about be coming stuff. down soon. The, the problem is we can line up all the draft guests we want. No one knows anything about like the second round or who's even going to be there. So it's like, no, what are we going to yeah. talk about? We can, talk, we can talk about all the players the Saints won't have a chance to draft anyway. And just the speculation too, if there is a Sean Payton deal, what exactly is going to be the haul? I know a lot of fans are hoping for two first round picks, but will it really garner that much is a huge question. 
I can't wait to talk about that because it's not like we've been talking about that all goddamn year or anything. All right. Just a different Let's wrap it up there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And peace.